Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Trent McClellan with another episode of The Generators Podcast here on the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. Uh, what's shaking? What's going on? How you feeling? Um, I'm in Canada, of course, and I don't know if anyone else is going through this right now. And I know it's early to be dropping this on you. But uh, I like being vulnerable on this podcast. I like uh, I like laying it down there, laying it out, saying what I think. And so I'm just going to put it out there. I realize it's, you know, mid-June, but I'm putting this out and here it is. I might already be sunned out. Do you know what I mean by sundown? I think it's only a uh, Northern Hemisphere problem. Perhaps, you know, people in Canada can relate to me when I say a few days of hot weather and I'm done. I love it. I wish there was more of it, but it drains me. It's like I don't have the stamina to handle consecutive days of sunny weather and I just get wiped out. It takes me time to get back up to pace, to be able to handle heat every single day. I think that's a product of living in a country that has winter for six months of the year. And then when the hot weather comes is a transition, we don't get hot weather right away. It takes time to warm up. And then when it does, or I mean, we're just not used to it. You know, it's like sitting on your couch for six to eight months, just eating cheesies, pound and Coke, cane. No, not cocaine. Coca-Cola. Um, you're drinking the gravy out of a poutine. Like you're sitting around not taking care of yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. And then the next day you get up and you run a marathon. Chances are it's not going to go well. Okay. You haven't been training. You're not ready. Your mind's not ready. Your body's not ready. And I feel like that's pretty much what it's like trying to deal with warm weather when you're a Canadian. And uh, I am wiped out. I'm like falling asleep by 9 o'clock, 9.30. I am like a senior citizen. You know, I'm talking about... Well, what's the temperature tomorrow? Oh, it's going to get up to 26. I hear myself saying things that a senior citizen would say, you know, and uh, it's, I'll be honest, it's alarming. And that's a thesis for anyone out there who may be a scientist or a researcher. Does excessive sunshine make you a senior citizen? You know what I mean? Think about all the the warm destinations, all senior citizens down there. Now, were they seniors and then they moved down there because it was warm? Or were they just young people and suddenly became senior citizens due to all the sun and heat? Look into it. Give me a dingle at the Generators Podcast here and let me know what your research finds. Um, all right, let me start this episode of the uh, of the big shoe. Um you know, often in stand-up comedy, 
you uh, you meet a lot of people, a lot of other comedians and entertainers and people who work in the industry. And there's a lot of great people that work in comedy and entertainment and in television. And um, sometimes the people that are in this industry, this wacky world of uh, Canadian show business, they step out and they do other things. Believe it or not, outside of the entertainment world, they leave the insanity, the bubble that is Canadian entertainment. And they say, you know what? I want to do something else. I got a bigger vision. And uh, my guest this week is someone who uh, fits that description. Uh, My guest this week is Jeff McKay, uh, who is uh, from Ottawa. And I first met him playing absolute comedy back in the day. And uh, it's one of those guys that we hit it off right away. Um, had a similar sense of humor, uh, got along. Jeff was always a guy to me who came across as someone who was always thinking bigger picture. He was thinking bigger picture in terms of stand up and the business side of stand up, but also it, he was a guy that, you know, wanted to do bigger things. He, he had, he had, uh, Vision, shall we say. And he has gone on to continue to be a stand-up comedian. Very, very funny guy. Uh, but also has now uh, started his own company called The Aggressive Good, which has developed a new way of, um, I guess, I guess of, of, of presenting bulk products and in grocery stores. And it's kind of interesting because I think all good products solve a problem. And I think this product actually does solve a problem that I don't know if I've heard anyone else really address before. And so he gets into it uh, and explains what it is in this episode. But I, I do realize like, yeah, that, that has been a problem in grocery stores when you want to buy bulk stuff, whether it's, you know, nuts or uh, raisins or whatever it is in that bulk section in the grocery store, there's always been a way that it, you do it. And it's, it doesn't seem like it's the most efficient way. And it's not the best way for the environment, that's for sure. So Jeff and his company have uh, have come up with a solution uh, to help with the distribution of, of, of bulk uh, products. So I think it's a really interesting episode. We talk a lot about stand-up comedy and uh, some stories um, that we we both have gone through. But also Jeff explains a little bit about his uh, his inspiration for the company and uh, and uh, why he thinks this product is going to make a difference. And I think it will. So. Anyway, uh, sit back or keep jogging or lifting weights or uh, pretending you're working, but really be listening to me. Uh, whatever of those you want to choose, do do one of those or all of those. And uh, either way, enjoy my conversation with Jeff McKay. This meeting is being recorded this is that's the new start to a lot of people's day now is the sound of some woman you've never met on zoom saying this meeting is being recorded put your pants on put your pants on don't do what you normally do be someone else because this thing is being recorded so it is jeff mckay day on the podcast look at this guy for those of you with the ability to look at video for those of you just listening with audio picture a very good looking man with rosy cheeks who just seems to be crushing life picture picture that guy and then there's jeff and then there's jeff and uh, (laughs) how are you my friend it's been a long time 
Yeah, I'm excellent. Uh, real good. And it's, uh, I think the last time we hung out was uh, we were with Sean Majumder roaming the streets of Ottawa. Uh, oh, my God. Midnight Mayhem. Oh, my God. That is right. Like, we're talking, would that be like five years ago? Four or five years ago, maybe? Five, yeah, for sure. Insanity. And Sean was staying at that nice hotel downtown in Ottawa. What was that hotel? Yeah, the the, uh, the uh, Ark. No, not the Ark. It was the... Uh, not Aztec. Oh man, they're gonna kill. I don't, I don't work for the hotel, so I don't. <laughs> You're like I'm not. A, I'm not a bellhop there. I mean, what are you? What are you coming at me for with? Uh... The nays got a very high patio. <laughs> yes, know. that's right. It was. It was a beautiful spot. I don't know if I've been back to Ottawa since, but I remember thinking to myself, as only a comedian would go, man. If I come through again, this is the place that I'm gonna want to stay at. Like this place yeah. is pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was many, many, many moons ago. Um, I've been checking in with people when I when I have friends on the podcast because I kind of find like the podcast is a great way to just reconnect with people, have them as a guest, but also just go to reconnect and let strangers listen in onto that reconnection. Um, how have you been like since the world went sideways and hit a patch of black ice there 15, 16 months ago? How are yeah. you coping? How are things? Well, it's uh, it's there's good and bad. You know, it's. Uh, you get some time to reevaluate things in your life that you wish maybe were a little different. And at the same time, it's, uh, it's very depressing and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, some days you're like, wow, is this even going in the right direction? Like, yeah, yeah. I think it's mostly, I think the same thing I've I mean, you know, echoed from everyone I know is it just, uh, everybody wants to get back to their normal life. And I question that too. Like, was life before COVID so great that we really want to go back to exactly that? I don't like yeah. it, my life is good, but I definitely think some changes are needed for me. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. And I've brought it up on the podcast a few times that I, I feel like because there was nothing but downtime, especially when this first hit, um, I kind of went put my life under a bit of an audit where I did the same thing where I'm like, man, I questioned everything like my stand up, the podcast relationships, uh, everything was like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Could I be doing it better? Should I not be doing it? Like, but I don't think I would have taken that time had I not had this global pandemic to force me to do so. So I think you're right. I don't. Does anybody want to go back to the old version of them or the old version of living? Yeah, I don't think we want this, but, you know, no. I think, you know, what this whole thing was, it was just uh, Mother Nature slapping us all around a little bit saying, guys, get get your, get your it in order here. Yeah. You do the things that aren't right. And uh, I'm going to give you a pandemic and, and <laughs> you put it your first test in the yeah. American gladiator sort of style of like, can we survive as a species? <laughs> yeah. Can we do it together? Well, it's funny because I, I really thought at different points, I, what I find amazing about this whole period has been my how my thoughts have changed, like up and down and roller coaster. And there's days where I feel like nothing but hope. And there's other days where I feel nothing but despair. And so you're trying to ride yeah. out and find that, you know, that even thing. I don't know if you've been the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's some, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've done something like, you know, as you know, we'll talk, I'm in the clean tech industry and some days like I pay attention to global issues and global environmental issues. And some days I'm like, Oh my God, we're doomed. And other days you see some really great innovative stuff coming out and you're like, okay, all right, we're making some progress. We got a chance here. There's some hope. <laughs> well, I think it was funny for me. Cause I think I used to think like, clearly this will make us kinder, right? Like we'll all realize how precious life is, how things can change in a heartbeat. When you get things taken away from you that you love, you have a new appreciation for 
them. But that hasn't necessarily been the case in every example. Like I think people's anxiety has created a bit of a monster in a lot of ways. And sometimes when I look at the world, I go, people are actually meaner to each other than they were before in some instances. Yeah. I, I mean, there's the one thing I've improved on is traffic since traffic is significantly reduced. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm yelling a lot less in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that doesn't mean you've changed. That just means the traffic's changed. <laughs> that, if those traffic jams come back, do we get the old Jeff or? Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought road rage is hilarious because you could be having the best day of your life. Great music on. You're looking forward to going where you're going. And yeah. literally someone does something to you and you just flick a switch. And now you're that guy. <laughs> like, it's like, was he here the whole time? And I just <laughs> didn't realize it. Well, like, it's like you go from absolute freedom in your car to complete tyranny of like someone else's judgment. It's like, okay, some person's making some decision that's going to block everybody. Everyone behind them is, is like now running late because they made some <laughs> stupid move. And you're like, I can't do anything about this. You just start yelling. And you're like, why, why, why? <laughs> the other thing too, I don't know if you've had this happen. The other thing that makes me really upset is when someone thinks something is my fault and I clearly don't think it is. So then I just ruminate about that for the next hour. Like, yeah, I mean, it was, there was no left turn. And whoever's in the car with me has to hear me just vent about how I was right. Like, yeah, no, is that guy didn't, what's he leaning on the horn for? You're like, there's no way it could have made a left there, right? Like that's, there was construction. I mean, you saw it, right? And they're just like, for Christ's sake, that was an hour ago. Let it, let it go. I wonder, like, I wonder what percentage of my days are just like listening to people and me going like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, whatever they're saying, I'm just like, ah, I don't need to hear this, but I'm going to say it. Well, that's all the years, too, of being uh, you know, a road comic, right? Where you, you, know, you get in the car with a stranger and, I mean, you got to survive that. You have to somehow sit with this person you've never met really before. And now uh, you're going to be in this car for three days and you've yeah. got to find a way to coexist. <laughs> I was with an American comic. You, I'm sure you know. I'm not going to name names, but we, we drove like three hours. Guy didn't say a word. No, I was like, I was like, I was like. At first, I was like, okay, I'll strike up a conversation. But I was like, I'm going to just see how long it takes for him to say something. <laughs> he didn't say anything the whole way. I got out. I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I was like, oh. Had a great time. Had a really yeah, it's, good time. That's great. Peaceful. Yeah, I guess you, silence is an interesting thing. I've been thinking a lot more about silence in general. And I think, I think a lot of human beings are uncomfortable with it, which is why we always feel the need to fill the air with some kind of noise, right? Like we have to fill that awkwardness. But it's like, why are we so terrified of silence? Because I've been the same way where I've been like, wow, this is just awkward. But I'm like, why is it awkward? That's why elevators are awkward for people, right? When yeah. we could get into them with other people. Yeah. And it's, like, it's, it's almost like coming now, not only into social situations, but with yourself, with like phones. Like Louis C.K. talked about this, remember? Where it's like, now people can't be alone with their own thoughts. You have to be like, like reaching for your phone and be like, I got to be busy. I got to do something. Yep. You can't even like ruminate with yourself. Yeah. Those well, I think things. that was just terrible for people because... I think that's what what's happened too in this last window of time, like 15, 16 months, is that because everything did slow down and you can only watch so much Netflix and do so much phone, eventually these things you've been trying not to sit with have come bubbling to the surface and people are not prepared to deal with them. Like whether that's like from dark, dark shit to like just general anxieties, it's like you're forced to sit with it. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's uh and that's why you see people getting alcoholics <laughs> yeah exactly yeah how do i not think about these things so whatever that is phone drugs booze gambling uh just binge watching stuff on netflix like anything not to just be with me <laughs> yeah. like, you know you live in an age that you you shouldn't be with you that's really like the yeah. relationship you have with yourself shouldn't exist that should yeah <laughs> i'm breaking up with me i don't want to see me anymore it's not me it's me Okay, yeah. that's what it is. It's not hello, me. It's, hello, Netflix. Yeah. Hello, exactly. Your new girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's just kind of a. It's it's the weirdest, weirdest thing. But I started uh, started meditating a bunch of years ago, and. I've kind of embraced silence more. It doesn't mean I apply it to my daily life all the time when I'm interacting with the world, but I do, I don't fear silence as much as I used to. Because like, I don't know about you, but when I was on the road doing a lot of road gigs, like driving places, like man, you'd be in a car by yourself for hours at a time, like hours just thinking about the best things, the worst things in life. Do you recall those long drives where you're just like, do I, is this something I want to keep doing? Or, <laughs> I love those. <laughs> I live for those. I would like, I, I remember doing a gig and where I'm like, and I had like a four hour drive coming up. I'd be like, sweet. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Springsteen on, go 180, hope the cops don't get you. <laughs> <laughs> go with another guy, not talk to him. You know, just trucking down the highway. He probably got to use the bathroom. You don't care. You're not going to talk to him anyway, you know? I mean, go with the said. seat, man. Go in the seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're a pro now, right, kid? You're on the road. Toughen up. Um, it's amazing, too, because I, I don't know um, if you ever think about, like, the concept of being a stand-up comedian, like, all the gigs that you would have done back in the day, the people you met, the situations you would have found yourself in. Like, it's it becomes very normal over time, but I realize to the average person in the world, it's insane. <laughs> Like, it's an insane thing to do for a living, A, but also the manner in which we do it and how we travel and interact with people. It's it's just not a normal thing. Have you ever had that thought that you're just like, yeah, this is crazy to do? Absolutely. Like, and that's the thing where I, that's what appealed to me about it was I didn't want to be like, you know, I lived in Ottawa. I live in Ottawa. So it's a very government town where it's, you know, a lot of people do the same nine to five routine. And it's to me, that was just did not appeal at all. So I just wanted something that was like, hey, I want to be I want to be meeting people like you, like, you know, all these other really sort of like minded, funny, sort of progressive, usually pretty progressive people. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, I, I but yeah, I question that every time before I go on stage. I'm like, does this crowd of 300 people really want to hear what I have to say? They don't even know my name. Why do they care? <laughs> and, you know, usually goes great, but you know. Well, it is weird too. Like, I, I don't know if you had this, but like when I was younger, I feel like. I went through a very shy stage when I was really young and then you started to come into your own and then I got to become a teenager like college years and I was like just like you become louder and you're just doing more stuff for laughs and just being a jackass in general you know and then I had that window of time for quite a while and then I started doing stand-up and then you it's almost like that part of me was fed through stand-up so then off stage I became way quieter like I, was st I wasn't like you know stand in the corner but I just didn't need that thing fed anymore by like normal daily interaction and like did you when you started doing stand-up did you feel like something was fed that way or that you got something out of it yeah definitely that's what it was. I was same path exactly where I was I used to sort of be a bit of a class clown or whatever but not and then now that I get it out on stage like I always get that when I meet people and I tried you know 
to not tell them I'm a comedian. You know the line of questioning that follows, and you're just like, I mean, you're a young comic. You want to tell everybody, like, I'm a comedian, and you know, hopefully, girls are like, yeah, he's a comedian. But now, when you get to be an experienced comic, you don't, you don't tell anybody you're a comedian. <laughs> exactly. You get on that flight. Remember, the person next to you is like, just you know, they're going to start talking at some point. Like, so, what takes you to what takes you to Toronto? And you're like, oh, jeez, do I tell this person that they're going to yeah. ask me? The, the, the thing that as comedians we hate that people don't know is that if you want to talk to us about comedy that's one thing but if you start naming random comedians that you may have seen and you can't remember their names but you just give us a visual description of them like ah, oh, we, we were in <laughs> Vegas a couple of years ago and we saw this guy oh god what was his name he talked about relationships and uh, oh jeez <laughs> now, now I'm playing a now I'm on a game show I get to try and guess who you saw back in 1988 at the Tropicana? Like, and I'm like just exhausted. Just like, how? Yeah. I had this one experience. I was sitting in a restaurant waiting for a friend to join me. And was, I was, this table next to me, this guy keeps looking at me. And I'm like, and he's with his wife. They're eating. And then he's like, I think I know you. He's this dialing guy. He goes, I think I know you from somewhere. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm trying to avoid that comedian thing. Yep. And he's like, he like suddenly perks up. He's like, oh, I saw you on TV. And I'm like, oh, dear God. And then he's just like, he's like, oh, God, God, you were good, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know what? You're waiting for your buddy just just to repay you for the last you gave me. I'm going to tell you jokes. Oh, so your no. Buddy you. And then he starts going into these like semi-racist jokes. No. In this restaurant. So now it looks like I'm with this guy and his wife's trying to be like, okay, like, calm, like you know, she's trying to calm him down. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my God. I can't leave. And this guy's telling me it's uh, brutal. Oh my God. You want to just crawl into a hole like in the ceiling and just, but isn't it weird as comedians like that people, no other, I don't know any other professions where people try and do your profession in front of you. Like yeah. doctors don't go to a party and someone's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah doctor, here's how I fix shit. Okay. Here's what I do when I have appendicitis. Okay. Yeah. I like to put a tea bag. I boil a tea bag. I put it on the side. No one. They don't. No one. They, they'll explain their problems. Like, can you fix this? But they don't try and do the thing you do. But for comedians, yeah. for some reason, we're like, I'm also funny. Let me prove it to you. I'm like, I don't. Dude, I'm on a WestJet flight going. I don't care. If yeah. You, if you. It's like a goal. Most, especially men always are trying to be like, if I can make a comedian laugh. I am funny. It's like a validation. <laughs> yeah, it validates. Like I got the stamp of approval from this guy. I don't remember his yeah. name, but I know yeah. I saw him somewhere and he does that thing, you yeah. know? And I told him some things that he can use. I told him you can use these. I permitted stuff. him to use that stuff. That's how good that shit is. I know you're going to want to take it. You're like, I don't. What do you, I had a guy come up to me one time and go, uh, uh, hey, man, you don't mind me asking uh, how much you make doing this kind of stuff? <laughs> I was like, what? He goes, he goes, yeah, I'm pretty funny. I'm pretty funny. I do a lot of weddings. I see a lot of weddings. Uh, my buddies, you know, Sam Hilarious. But I mean, I'm making, you know, I'm making six figures now doing what I do. Right. So I mean, like to leave that and then go do what you guys do. Like, you know, I got to know if it's financially worth it. And I'm like, so I always, I go tonight. I got one mil tonight. I made a million. <laughs> 
Just, just like if you're going to come in talking money with stand-up comedy right out the gate, we were like Red Deer, Alberta at a Legion or something. <laughs> like, but like that's what you're coming at me with. Not like questions genuinely asking about the profession or the craft. You're like, no, I already know I have what it takes. I just need to know. It's a financial decision. I just need to weigh yeah, out they, these two professions. And they assume that they can just do it. Like, oh, I'm going to drop my job today and then I'll be, you know, on like, you know, HBO next week. It's like, no, <laughs> no, dude. No, it's not. That's not where it starts at all. That's exact. That's not where it starts. So, dude, you doing comedy for a number of years. You you were always a guy. I remember always very. I mean, you're always very funny on stage. We always got along off stage. Obviously, we hit it off. But I always noticed that not every comedian has the business sense or business side of show business. But I felt like early on you were like, all right, I got to kind of navigate that somehow. I got to treat this like a business. Where did you get that mentality? Like, was that something just in your household or were you wired that way all the time? Uh, definitely not in my house, but it was, uh, I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I thought, you know, like if you're going to make a go at this, you realize that Canada is a pretty limiting, if you're going to do the clubs only you have, I was looking for more stage time and I was like, okay, if I can do corporate and stuff, if I can get, if I can increase the, uh, my, my, my stream for stage time, then let's do that. So, you know, I got into the corporate world, uh, you know, doing, you know, I figured there's opportunity to make money at every show. So, and I sell you know, a bit of merchandise afterwards and stuff. So, and, and I don't know, you see these American comics too. They're very uh, entrepreneur minded. Yeah. And you know, that's what, you know, and I, you know, obviously we both love stand up and have made careers of it, but you know, if, if you're going to, you know, to me, you see amateurs and they, they want to just drink every night um, after the show, like and get hammered. And it's like, you're, you're only going to go so far. That's going to be your, your mentality kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think I always think too that the danger of standup is that a lot of us got into it because you wanted to get out of the nine to five world and that whole like work ethic thing, you know, like I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, you know? Yeah. And then you realize like, yeah, you can, but that's only going to take you so far. And then that drops you off. And now you're like, oh, okay, well now I'm here and uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to treat this like a little bit of a business if I'm going to try and make it go of it and have an extended career and have some quality of life. You know, that's yeah. the way I looked at it. Well, definitely. I noticed that with you, you were actually one of the guys that we talked business a lot and you, you know, I've kind of looked up to you in that respect because you were so, you know, you would go out and get your gig and you book, like, you do all the, the back end stuff. And then the stand up probably for you is like 5% of the gig. Yeah. Like actually doing the material and the stage time, the rest of it is, you know, it's yeah. a hustle. It's a real hustle. Yeah, for sure. It's a real hustle. So then you, you know, your comedy career is trucking along. When do you decide you go into a new endeavor? Tell folks what you what you pivoted into. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm have always been a very ecologically conscious person. I'm I'm kind of like you know disgusted at the human species the way we're kind of just owning and trashing this planet. Yeah. And I've always and the thing is with the infrastructure we have in place now in our in our commerce, there's not a lot of you know ways that we can reduce our consumption. Uh, you know, like for example, my company that I, I built uh, and founded called the Aggressive Good or Tag. Um, we've made a new dispensing uh, delivery system to help people um, shop zero waste for bulk grocery items. A right. real easy system that you know you can um, that you tap a card, you push a button, and you see exactly how much almonds or raisins or you know coffee beans you're getting. 
and then it makes it just makes it so much easier than going to a typical bulk store where you have to like scoop in you know and you have no idea how much you're getting and then you go to the cash and you're thinking you got eight dollars of the almonds and they're like that's 24 (laughs) dollars okay these are going back into the unsanitary bin that they came from right so you know i just started to think one day like i like i i want to change this and i'm not an engineer by any stretch of the imagination but i approached an engineer friend of mine and said is this idea i have to automate this entire process like can you do this mechanically and and he's like yeah we can do that so i started this company just him and i and then you know we developed a prototype and now we are uh we've got i've got a great team uh our cfo came on board and she was really uh you know gung-ho about this whole idea of uh you know doing business sustainably and and uh and it's actually taken off quite a bit right now we're getting a lot of interest that's um, awesome yeah so, um yeah. it's it's so interesting too because i i look at when I look at business in general, I go every single business from a large level to a small level is always just solving a problem. It's just a solution to a problem that already exists. And once people realize, and I mean that from fast food to like, I don't want to cook something. So you go to a drive through, right? You, it's, it's not wanting to watch a movie on a smaller screen. So you go to a movie theater so you can watch on a big one and be with other people and share the experience. Like everything solves a problem. So was this something that you had kind of seen over and over and over again, or just one day a light bulb went off? Like, how did you, how did you get to that point? Well, you know, as a comic and, and sure, you're always thinking of either solutions. You just, it's always the, the mouth, the hamster is always going on in your head yeah. and I'm the same way. So I've been shot bulk for a while and I was just like, I got, you know, and I was, I was looking, you know, I got fed up with it. I was like, okay, I'm tolerant because I'm here because I want to save a little money and also just not use as much ridiculous single use plastics as we are. So I went in there with that. And then I just like, it became so like my shopping experience was three times as long as it could have been had I just gone to a regular store and thrown stuff into the cart. Right. And I thought like, this is a problem that's not going to go away anytime soon. So I started looking into it like, okay, what are the alternative? I was like, surely this is automated somehow, just not in, you know, Ottawa or whatever. Right. It seemed that it wasn't. So I, you know, I said, okay, let's, you know, I didn't, I never thought I'd be a founder of a high, a clean tech company. If you asked right. me that like, when we were hanging out five years ago, you'd be like, no, like, yeah, yeah. It's, I, you know, it just sort of one thing after the other led to me, you know, being a, the, the architect of this of this new system and it's uh, you know the system also eliminates waste uh, throughout the supply chain so um, producers with our with using the cartridges that go into our pod system mm-hmm. don't even have to use single-use plastics and you know with Canada and there's another 170 countries around the world right now that are they're focusing on we have to reduce this plastic stuff because our oceans our lands you know are, are filling up and, and, and unless we stop the production of it, it's going to continue. Right. And, and, you know, you ask the average person and, and if you just said to somebody like, do you, would you want to help reduce your waste and your impact on the planet? I guarantee you 99 or a hundred out of a hundred would say, yes, I do. Yeah. Would you do this? Um, if it took you, you know, if, if it was not convenient, would you do this? A lot of people wouldn't. Yeah. So that's what my, we're building the tools to make, you know, sustainable um, shopping convenient for people. And that's where I think the success is going to be. I find it amazing too, because when you go into stores now, more and more grocery stores have like, 
you know, organic choices, vegan choices, like, you know, five years ago, even like it was like that was reserved for a very small part of a grocery store, like a major chain, or you had to go to a specialty store. Like that's, that's where it went. And I find myself going down those sections now more often because I'm like the quality of, of things has improved. So if you wanted something that was like, you want to try something meatless, for example, before it was like, wow, this is, does not taste great, but I know I'm saving an animal. So it's like, you know, you just kind of, you know, plug your nose and bear with it. Right. But like now things have improved so much. So the experience is better for people. And the other thing I've realized is that people flock to stuff that has very little friction. The less friction it has to do or use, people will flock to that. If there's a glitch in it, if there's a thing, another extra step that they have to do, people go, I don't know about that. Like, you know, but when you streamline something and make it super easy, speed wins, you know, like it's, it just does. Absolutely. Because everybody now, you such time is such a commodity in everyone's lives. Everybody's got a fairly full life, no matter, you know, even homeless dudes. Like, I got yeah. I to be somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess I want to so, be. So it's like, it's, if you can do that, as you said, then that's, that's what's going to win. And, you know, the convenience of, uh, and everybody eats food. Everybody wants to reduce their impact. Everybody, and, and the infrastructures of business are changing so much. Like, we're, as, you know, we live in the information age. The more, uh, information we can collect it now easily um, we can re- respond we can have our business respond to it with that data information yeah so that's you know the, like the other day I was I, I split an uber with somebody when I got to the airport in Vancouver a buddy of mine would happen to be on the same flight and uh, I I didn't know this feature is on uber but you can split like you can actually just push a button and it'll split the cost between two of you right so I didn't even know it, but that's just a new thing. I've been using Uber for years and I didn't know that. And now I made it even more appealing because you can get in an Uber with three people and split. Now your costs, you know, you don't have to be like, I'll pay you back and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. No friction. No yeah. friction. It is it is amazing. And I think, you know, you see it more and more and people like, because you know that whole adage of like first to market wins, first to market wins. And then you sit back and you realize like that's not always been the case because some people have been the first ones in the in the coal mine, the first canary in and someone else has sat back and watched kind of how they've done it. And then got like, I know how to speed that process up or I know how to make that process a little bit quicker, a little bit better. And they take all the data from the original person who's gone in and watch how they how they navigate and then they approve upon it so it's like every problem can be streamlined every situation can be like tweaked a little bit to make it a little bit better and that's that's a classic example of it yeah and like the myspace facebook thing like myspace was first to that sort of arena and then Facebook was just like, all right, here's what you're doing. We can do it better. And yep. boom, you know, and it's interesting. You said that problem about the almonds. Cause I'm like, dude, that, cause it, I, I mean, automatically I thought like a comedian where I went like, my God, that's an amazing premise. Like I would have crushed that as a premise. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like to go like, all right, I want to get some almonds. And you, you'd have that bag just kind of holding it over that hole while stuff was firing out. And now you're like, kind of feels heavy. Uh, I, I don't know how much that's going to be. Oh, well, let's go on up. And then the lady up there at the cashier lays it up on the scale and goes, that's $47. You're like, what am I? What am I, Puff Daddy? What am I? I can- <laughs> There's six people behind you just judging you. Like, is he going to do it? Is he going to buy it? Is he going with it? He doesn't. I'm like, what am I buying almonds for five years? I, I wanted to buy some a snack for a picnic tomorrow. I don't, I'm not blowing up with a garbage bag full of, full of almonds. Look at this at Barn. He's just I show up with a hockey bag, just like, uh, just let it load in. 
mix everything together. <laughs> Deal with it. Raisins, cashews, throw them in there. What are you doing, party mix? You're getting in the bag too. I'm just throwing it all in this thing and walking out with a bad back. Um, but that what that is a problem for people because there's, there's really nothing else in a grocery store, I guess, to that degree. Or when you're purchasing it, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know yeah. how much it is. Like if yeah. you picked up a pack of chicken and you're like, could be three bucks, could be 40. <laughs> you're like, we'll find out when we get to the cashier. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's just a game show. Exactly. Does, am I going to go bankrupt? <laughs> Does my debit have enough? Here we go. Tap a room. Oh, how much are the almonds? $113. What? <laughs> Christmas is canceled kids with just bought almonds. Dad bought too many almonds at the store. Now we're not going to Florida. What? Um, That that is really, really interesting. So when you first have the inclination of this is a thing, this is a problem, you approach your, your, um, your friend and go, okay, can you develop a prototype for this? Walk me through, were there a bunch of versions of that didn't work? Like, this is the thing I'm always fascinated by is that we... I guess uh, Brene Brown calls it like um, gold-plated armor, where we're like we skip over the the uh, like you know I was doing here and I was kind of struggling and then boom I got a break one day and it all would but we skip over that part that's like where the real where it took the grit you know to get through like walk me through the inclination of the idea you guys get together how long is that process to get to a point where it's like yeah we're we're ready to put this out to the world a good two two and a half years where wow. it's. Uh, our first one we had where we had a giant like an iPad screen on it and you could you could type in like exactly how much product you wanted and then it seemed like it was smart but then you realize like not everybody is familiar people are intimidated by new technology like mm-hmm. and there's barriers that that's a barrier that they have to overcome and so even then we said okay let's say you type in six dollars worth of uh, oats or whatever but your container that you're using only holds three so now right. you're gonna have this thing flow six so that was and then we and that was also you're putting an iPad screen in every one of these units, like that's expensive to produce. Right. Then we distilled it down to where we like, okay, let's just make it like an, like an Apple iPhone or like a bad analogy is a gas pump where it's one thing, there's one button, you can't screw this up. Right. Hold down the button, but there's a screen just like a gas pump that shows you exactly how much is coming out of that. Nice. So as soon as you release the button, like the gas pump, you know, okay, I got 350. And that's what you get. And then you can take your the transactions recorded on your card. You take that card to the cash. So all your transactions are recorded. So you just tap the card and they're like, you got $38 worth of these various products. It eliminates, you know, checkout time from minutes to seconds. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a good point too of like, because there's another thing I realized too in business is that just because you think it's a good idea doesn't necessarily mean the the, the masses are going to think it's a good idea because it's all based on your level of experience, your education. So if you're like screens are like, yeah, that's a great idea. Fantastic. Everyone can use a screen. Then you realize like, oh, wait, now that's not going to work for these various reasons. Like when you're trying to serve up a massive amount of people, people come with all their luggage and lack of experience or whatever. And so then you have to be open to changing your mind and changing what you've put out there. Yeah. And that's the thing, like the simplicity wins every time. 
Like nobody in the world has ever said, you know what? We should make this more complex. <laughs> like, you know, like this, this should be harder to do. Yeah. So the easier you can make something, the easier you can do something, more people are going to adopt it. And that's, uh, you know, that's something that I think is a, a pretty like a universal, you know, adage. And, and, you know, another thing with like just building a, a prototype and building a business is there's just so many backend things you, that can, I mean, like when I, when we first present, we did our first presentation with prototype one, which is that huge monstrosity with the screen. We did it at Queens University and said like, look, like, you know, we were, we were getting some funding. We were trying to get some funding from this uh, this program at Queens. And they, they said, uh, there was a panel of judges and we said, we want to help people reduce the waste in grocery stores and blah, blah, blah. The first thing out of the judge's mouth, as soon as we finished our presentation, he's like, it's a nice idea, guys. Never going to work. And we're just like, oh, <laughs> thousands of dollars. This is like a business guru, right? Uh, and so like in retrospect, and, and to me as a comic, like I'm like, I'm going to spite that guy and I'm going to make this work if I <laughs> come hell or high water. Yeah. And, and that's, and then, and then, I mean, he was partially right that the iteration we had probably wouldn't have worked in that iteration, but the idea will work and I'm still very confident and I'm, it's happening. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. That's awesome. It's true too. Cause the, the comedian mentality, I mean, we would have done it, <clears throat> excuse me, our whole careers is like you take a premise, you go on stage, you believe in it. The crowd tells you it sucks cause they don't laugh. Do you abandon it or do you go, no, I can tweak this. I can fix this. Yeah. I think the premise was too long. I think I need to put in this word. I'm going to tweak this thing. Like we don't give up easily, you know, in general on projects. Yeah. And that's where the editing, like with comedy, like I do this joke about baby on board signs and I, I love the joke. And it's actually one of the jokes that I've had for years now. But when I first did it, it was like, let's say 10 phrases long and it kind of worked. It was a bit clunky. And then I boiled it down to about four you know, key sentences. And now the joke is kills. Yeah. So that's the thing again with simplicity, right? I had it, it was too much. And then I yep. pulled it in and it, now it's, it's, you know, it's a killer joke. Yeah. So, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I think the other thing too is we, we just don't know. Just like comedy, like you don't know how something's going to be received. You can believe in it. You can think you've got it polished. We've talked about it. We're going to talk about our pitch. We're good to go. Pitch deck is ready, whatever, your presentation. But it's not until you throw it out to the, the judges or the masses or the public in general that you're measured. That's the only way to know it. And that's what I find the parallel between business and comedy quite often is that you everything's just hope up to that point. Everything is literally just faith and hope. At the end of the day, you're going to be measured and then you will have data from that measurement to either tweak it, abandon it, whatever you want to do. But it, eventually it has to launch. You have to go out there in the world and see what the feedback is. And then do you crumble or do you go, no, we still believe in it. We just have to make these little tweaks and then you know, re refurbish it, reframe it and then put it out again. And, and that's the thing with stand up too, that it prepares you for the business world because in both, endeavors you hear a lot of no's yeah. a lot of you know no 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 and that, a lot of people that inhibits them from trying stand up or starting their own thing or going for a dream that they have is they're just like i, I don't want to handle those crushing no's yeah. but stand up i mean we get crushed nightly so you, <laughs> yeah. you, it, you know and so and you know i think it was winston churchill that said like you know success is just walking from failure to failure with the same enthusiasm yeah and that's like that's you know really resonates because you're i today you know i've i don't know how many no's i've heard in in my life but the only reason i'm succeeding is because i'm able to just jump past those no's and go okay well that guy didn't want to you know, do I know. Like, like but now i'm, I'm good 
I almost want to tell people who start businesses, um, not that I would be a business coach or anything, but I feel like when you're a comedian, at least you do have some sense of like, you know, being an entrepreneur, I think a little bit, or just self-employed. It's like, you know, and especially in comedy, as you said, you face failure so much, but I almost want to tell people when they're starting something new, like just be prepared, give yourself a hundred fails. Just give yourself, start there with a hundred fails, because at least that way your expectation going in is very, is much more realistic as opposed to, no, I'm going to pitch this thing. Everyone's going to love it. I'm going to be rich. It's like, okay, let's, Let's yeah. walk it back. Let's just what if what if it doesn't though on the first one? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, oh God. It's like, you're you're going to be shattered. You're going to be shattered. So like, prepare for a hundred kicks to the guts, and then be pleasantly surprised on you know the 79th where you're like, oh God, wow, we actually got a second meeting with those guys, and they're going to invest, or I actually got the festival, or I got a you know like, but like I think people expect success way too quick a lot of times. Absolutely. And they, and I was talking to, uh, well, I was working with Julian Dion, who's a comic you probably know mm -hmm. and has his, you know, has his own podcast and we were working in Kingston a while ago and he was talking to me a bit, a bit of his process about how he gets folks gigs and stuff. And it's just, it's the same drive. It's his relentlessness. He's like, you got it. You know, if mathematically, if you ask a hundred people, you might get two yeses, but that means you got two yeses. The, yeah. the batting percentage isn't high, but you got two more than you would have if you hadn't had Yep. So that's the same application to everything. Like you, for 98 fails, if you get two yeses, you still got those two yeses. Yep. So exactly. Yeah. You're still up to that. You didn't have before you started the process. Uh, but I think the expectation of like everything just working out in your favor, just cause you want it. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's also like the height of entitlement. Like to just yeah. go, I have a thing. Therefore it should work. Where's my money. It's like, yeah. what? Who, how did yeah. you get to the front of the line? I don't even how did she like, but there's a lot of people living that these days. And so they have this momentum that you would have had with a new idea. I have this thing. They go through all the, you know, you, you get a CFO, you start building prototypes, whatever. But that first shot to the guts ends them. They're just like the first no or the first few weeks of no. It's like it is a marathon, man. Like it's literally a career, self-employment, uh, entrepreneurship. Like that thing is a marathon. Anybody I've talked to who owns a business, it is like it is just like how much can you take? That's what it is. It's like a boxer in the ring. How many punches can you take? Yeah. It's about seven years is the kind of the average. Like if you hear like, oh, there's a new comic or there's a new business. Well, and you talk to them, you're like, well, how long have you been doing comedy? Oh, at least seven years. Yeah. You're new at yeah. seven years. But, you know, it's like, but yeah. And there's, that's what uh, a lot of people just, you know, they, they give up way too soon. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that's <clears> and like, as we know, like the first two years you did comedy. I mean, you're great, great comic trainer, but I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. for two years you did comedy, where they weren't where you certainly oh, where you are now. No, no, that's right. And and it leaves you some room to grow and build and like, you know, but that's what I mean. I think you really got to be full, you know, all in on it because you really got to love what that what that thing is that you're doing, because there's just going to be a lot of shots and a lot of kicks. And you're going to be down quite a bit. But like if you're still loving that thing, you're just going to find the energy to get up and do it again and again and learn from it and take feedback and and all those things. One of the things I realized with entrepreneurs when I talk to them is that the hours that they put in seem to always be more than anyone could have imagined. Has that been the case for you where you're just like, wow, how many hours have I clocked doing this thing? Well, that's, I read a cool quote the other day. It was like, entrepreneurs put in 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40 hours a week. <laughs> 
that's hilarious and true yeah. that's so yeah. true and yeah. has that been the case for you like kind of late nights early days just like whatever's going to be get done get done yeah i mean it's if you want that thing to succeed whatever it is you're doing you're the only you're driving it like there's no one else that cares about it as much as you you yeah. know and now I, I actually now i'm i've got a great team that does care about it as much as i do but at the start i was the only you know yeah. so it's unless you unless you're the one doing it no one's gonna you don't have a secretary you don't have someone you know yeah. and here's your appointments you got to do all yeah i'll get it yeah it's it, it's a grind and it's it's um it's one of those things where I think it just constantly tests how bad do you want this? Like constantly like, okay, you said you wanted that, but like, here's another stack of stuff to do. Here's another fire to put out. Here's another problem to solve. It's like, it's just always a constant test of how bad does Jeff want this thing to be realized? That's what, that's yeah. all it is. Especially it's, it's like, an, you know, if it's a path that's not trodden or whatever, it's like, if you've got a new, an innovative a technology or project or a new idea or a new kind of joke idea format or something like that. Like, you know, a guy like John Doerr who does like really innovative sort of, you know, ways to get in and out of jokes and stuff like that, you know, some, you know, most yep. of them work for him, but yep. I wouldn't try to have those. It's, it's crazy, you know, but you know, yeah, it's uh, to be innovative. It, it requires a lot of failure. Oh and, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, you're right. As a comic, you just get, I wouldn't say bulletproof because you still feel things. You feel failure, but I think you just, you recover quicker. I think that's what it is. You still feel the initial pain, but I yeah. think you just go like, okay, kind of expected that. And, uh, all right, let's go again. And I've said this before in the podcast. The amazing thing about comedians is that they'll walk into a terrible situation and their mind will say, this is absolutely horrible and is not going to go well and a human another a normal outsider a human being a real person out in the outside world would walk into the same situation and think the exact same thing but a comedian's feet will walk towards the stage and be like well this is going to be terrible here we go and just yeah. move anyway no one else does that right? people yeah. are like oh no I'm not going up there tonight like they're yeah. literally there's a hockey game on and they're throwing bottles at each other and like yep I'm on in three minutes like yeah. <laughs> they just called my name or some iteration of my name that it implies to me. <laughs> Give it up for uh John McQuay. Give it up for John McQuay, everybody. Hi, John here? Is, is that you're looking around first to see if a that guy actually, no one else is moving? I guess that's me. Trevor McLaren. Quick peek over the shoulder. I know who he meant. Here we go. All right. What is that, a podium? Oh, that should be fine for me. Just walking up. Wireless mic, you don't say. No, was just, just pot lighting, and I got to stand under one of the pot lights? Sure. And you walk out up there and like, oh, they're going to be able to look at the auction items while I'm on stage, too. They'll be able to just move around. In the ballroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just marching up like nobody does that. Like it's like yeah. walking into a burning building. Like that building's on fire. I know. Try you don't gotta go in there. There's no one in there. I know what I'm doing, and you just start plowing in through. And you just watch the people with pity in their eyes just be like, I can't believe this guy is going to this. And then they're like, there's like, there's like, you know, in those rooms where there's like 10 people actually kind of interested in the show. And then just did, there's a hundred who are just mulling around in the background. So yeah. Those 10 people are just like, this poor guy, this poor oh, guy. Gosh. Oh, God. I think to this day, man, there's people who would have seen me, especially at corporate gigs back in the day, who would like, now maybe they turn their TV on. They go like, that's the guy. Yeah. That's the guy. 
that <laughs> ate it at our holiday party. Remember that? Remember? Remember how Trevor's awkward it was? Yeah. <laughs> What's that guy's Trevor? Trevor McKay? What's yeah. that guy's name? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. And I think they sit there because some people ask me sometimes, they go, Trent, like, do you feel proud of like the career you've had or whatever? And I go like, well, I don't know. You just don't want really to think about it. You're just like every day just doing your thing. You, you still feel like your best shit's ahead of you and there's more to do and whatever. But I go... They go like, yeah, but what about people who like you, who taught you in school or your friends who might say, I go like, yeah, I'm sure they might think that I go, but I often think about the person who saw me bomb wherever it was. And they're like, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy I went to. Yeah. He ruined our holiday party that time. That's the guy. <laughs> I remember like I was at the show and like, I'd been doing stand up for probably seven, eight years and I was not, you know, I was, I was good. I was getting decently booked gigs, but I wasn't like, you know, where I am now. But, yeah. and I remember a couple of people from my high school who I hadn't seen in probably, you know, a decade they're like oh the first time we see you we're gonna be in the audience and i ate it and just like, this <laughs> guy is such a loser and he was a loser in high school he's still a loser <laughs> you know? jeff good luck with that yeah no that's yeah. good we're gonna get going we're gonna stick around for a beer but we've got a sitter <laughs> so we're gonna just get going um yeah they can't look you in the eyes it's like well dude here's an interesting story when i first started doing stand-up one of my good buddies who was living in calgary at the time when i was too he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, you're doing stand up. I go, yeah, I started doing it, you know, last year or whatever. And he would never come to a show. He would never, ever come to a show. And then one day he finally came with a bunch of people and I, I had a good set. So it was all good. But he told me honestly, he said, dude, I honestly, I was afraid to come because I had another friend in Halifax, actually, who was doing stand up. He did the same thing. So why don't you come out? And he goes, when we all came out, he bombed so bad that it was just awkward for the rest of the night for all of us because they all hung out afterwards. And it was just like, yeah, so <laughs> you gonna you still have the other job, right? You're still doing the warehouse. And he goes, like, I was terrified that that was going to be the same thing happened to you. He goes, but like, I knew you were funny, but I just didn't. I said, man, I just want it to be good. And I, I realize that now with new comedians when they're inviting, I invited everybody from work out to the show and my family. It's like, dude, like they're super nervous for you. You, you, I don't know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, there's nothing but love in the room, but they're terrified that you're going to bomb. And then it's going to be super awkward because they'd never do this. They'd never, ever get up on stage and do this thing. So they're already scared for you and terrified it's going to go badly. So just know that if people hold off for a while, that it's because yeah. they just want to see like, okay, are you proficient at this? <laughs> like, is this a thing? Oh yeah. There's like, when you, when you, your first gig ever, did you tell everybody, you know, or did you just like keep it quiet? No, and go? I yeah. ghosted in. Yeah. I did. I was like, cause if it goes terrible, I don't want no one to know what happened. I just want to go yeah. in there and do it. But I'm amazed that you've seen this too. I'm sure at open mics, it's like the amount of people who are like, it's their first time ever on stage and half the room explodes. And it's like, they've told everyone they know. And I'm like, wow. Okay. You know, I, find, I don't know. I find that when I talk, obviously doing this long enough, the, the more people you talk to who they're like, my first time on stage, I went in, didn't tell a soul probably for even a month or two that I do this. Yep. There's usually, I find that they're a little more maybe advanced. I don't know why, but some of the people that maybe they just want validation from their friends or attention or something, they can invite everyone they know, maybe yep. just to, to feel insecure. So they want to make sure they have some laughs. Yep. But I find that they, 
don't necessarily always go maybe as far or, or as, as some of the people who are really, they cared so much. Like I, I got to be good. Like before I tell people sort of thing. Yes. You know? Well, I think you don't have a real, you don't have a real measurement of where you are at all, because if you have a room stack full of people who love you and care about you and they're really laughing, trying to laugh extra hard to make it look like you're crushing it. It's like, that's not a real measurement of where your jokes are. So if that's where you come in, you don't even know where you are yet because three, two weeks later when they're not there, that's when you're going to find out where your shit is really at. And I yeah. think you're right. Like you need a true test. Like it's like someone helping you do bench press and you think you're the strongest person in the world. And then it's like, oh, by the way, Jeff, I can't meet you tomorrow for the bench press thing. You're like, not a problem. I'll crush him out by myself. And you're like, eh. <laughs> Just like oh, I'm not. I, I can't put three forty fives on each side and do. Yeah. That's. that's I didn't know that. I didn't know that till he didn't show up to, to spot yeah. me. Um, yeah. But I'm always I, amazed that they do that. I remember I was doing, I, mean, I think when I was starting out early, I was at the Yucks in Ottawa and I saw that like this poor kid, he went up, it was his first time, he brought everybody he, he knew and he wasn't doing so well. Your first time doing stand up, you're nervous. Maybe you're not, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And he got heckled by his father. He was like, it was, it, it, it was just like, this kid's getting up there. He's not doing so well. And then this guy just stands up and goes, perform, Andrew, perform. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. Oh. Poor kid. I was just like. Oh man. And you know, that's not going to like, that's, they still talk about that now. That's, you know what I mean? Like that's, oh yeah. Like the time I finally got the nerve to try stand up old man. And you, you couldn't shut up. Like just, that's still a thing. He hockey dadded it. And it's just like, <laughs> you know what your problem is? He's in the car on the way home doing that drive. Like, you know, you, you, you swear too much up there. That's the problem. Like, shut up, dad. Like it's, oh man. Well, I've had people like that. Like, their parents weren't very um, supportive of them doing stand-up because they had another job and they were going to go into this, you know, they were starting to tiptoe into comedy. And I think it terrifies parents. Like, it terrifies people to go, like, you're not really serious about going into this full-time, right? Like, yeah. you're not, you're like, well, you know, I'm actually getting a few gigs and whatever, and they're kicking tires on it. And their folks are like, this is not what we had envisioned for Johnny at all. Yeah. You know, because very few people come from like a lineage of stand up comics, right? <laughs> you know, some people are like, oh, my family was all in the fire department. My family was all in this company. It's a pretty, you know, we are integrated. It's a safe thing. It's a lifestyle we know. But comedy, everybody's like, this is a wild card, man. This is, yeah, you know, this is a gong show. Yeah. And your parents just want you to be safe and, you know, comfortable. Yeah take the so. safe route to it. You know, who's hiring? It's like, go, go do that thing that, you know, whoever's hiring. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a wild, wild profession. And to think that some of us survive it, that's what I feel like now when I see people that have, you know, I haven't seen in a long time, like yourself or whatever, like when comics get together, I always feel like if we were on the road and we, you know, ran into each other, like, dude, what's going on? Or got together. It's almost, it almost feels like, we're two characters in a post-apocalyptic world movie and like the there's still smoldering rubble and stuff and we you just pop your head out and you just kind of look around you're covered in like soot and ash and stuff and then Jeff Jeff is a you, you made it too dude yeah uh, I got some water and you're like yeah, yeah I found this squirrel like just whatever it is like just you survived it <laughs> And that's the way I feel like if you make it past a certain number of years, you're like, okay, yeah, no, we're really, we're doing this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're still good. You're alive. Yeah. Oh, good. 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 Yeah. And it's weird. Cause like you only know your comic friends as comics, right? You don't know them like 
yeah. pre-comedy. So like, I don't know what you were like before you ever started a comedy. I know you played soccer. Yeah. Like, that's like, but you know, it's Who was a weird thing. <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, but I almost feel like I there was a reinvention of sorts because I actually physically moved from Newfoundland to Calgary, and that's where I started stand up. And then I felt like there was Trent to that point before he moved, and that life I had. And then when I moved to Calgary, there was almost like a reinvention of like, okay, now I'm going to be a comedian. Soccer ball gets put away for the most part, and I was like, hey, now I'm going to be this guy. Did you feel like you changed as a person? Like once you went down that comedy road, where you're like, hey, like this is you've kind of shed an old skin in a way. Yeah, I think I became a little more uh, like I remember the first the night I decided to do comedy like I hadn't done it yet. But I was uh, a, a friend. Well, actually from Ottawa, uh, my mom is friends with John Doerr's mom. Right. And so he was always on this daytime you know, TV show and for like a local cable thing. She, I was like, I told my mom, she's like, I think I'd like to try stand up or something. She's like, well, that John does the stand up. And, uh, you know, maybe I could talk to his mother and have you two have a conversation. I was like, okay. And I didn't know much about him. And he was so nice. He came and he, he talked to me and he printed me off like a, like a, like the stand up sort of Bible. And like, I, he like literally just photocopied it and he printed me like a 200 page manual, which I don't know how much you could have just bought me the book. It would save you money. But he, he was such a great guy. And then, uh, so the night that like I, um, that night I got that book from him, I was like, okay, I am going to do this. Like come hell or high water. Like I am going to go on that stage and do this. And that's, that would, to me, was, it's a very empowering moment. Cause like, I was like, wow, I'm actually going to do something that I want to do. Like it's terrifying, yeah. but and there's somebody out there who's done it and they're guiding me a little and they're encouraging. And that's, you know, whereas, you know, if you're, you know, a teenage kid or whatever, you're talking to your buddies, you're like, Oh, I'm thinking you can't do stand up. Like, why do you think you are there have the right to be funny in front of everybody, you know? Right. But, what, have, what have you ever said, Jeff? That was hilarious. Really? You're going to make a living at this. Right. Like that kind of vibe. Like, um, yeah. It's just interesting, too, because I, I think back about this with my own career. I was very, very lucky that the people that I met in the comedy world early on were so supportive because I was so fragile, no confidence yet, like didn't know anything about the stand up world. And if I'd walked into a room where people weren't supportive or it was like, you know, a lot of backbiting and that kind of stuff, I don't think I would have survived. And I realized like Jocko Alston was the first headliner that I went on the road with. So here was a guy who loved doing stand up, was super nice to everybody. Like I was like, and I bombed on that show. I remember like the show we did, it was this like bar in like Northern Alberta for four people. Like it was just terrible. And I remember going in the car back with him, like 10 hour drive in the winter, like terrible hotel motel, basically. But in that car on the way back, we had such a laugh. I was like, I want to get on stage again that night. Like, you know what I mean? But if I'm with the wrong person who's being negative or dumping on me or whatever, maybe I don't get on stage again after that. Maybe that was like, oh, wow, this is what the road is. Like, no, no, I'm done. And I really feel like I was fortunate to be with people early on, especially who were very positive and very supportive and who love doing it. Like That makes a difference. I feel bad for people who don't get that. Yeah. And that's and the comedy. Say what you will about some of it, but most people are really supportive. Like even when you, when you, you have a show and you suck and you know, with new comics, I'm trying to be like, 
Hey man, you know, the, I think it was like a Seinfeld thing I was listening to. It's like the first time you ever go on stage, you are introduced as a comic. You've never done this before. You have zero experience. It's like, not like you're a doctor where it's like the first time you're introduced as doctor, you've never gone through med school. Right. Yeah. And you have 10 years of school to get that title. You've right. done nothing and you're a comic. All <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, from zero to a million pretty quick once you get under those the first lights and you know you always the new whoa these lights are really bright you're like okay <laughs> yeah exactly yeah let's get that out of your system all right so uh but i think i still feel in my stomach and i've talked with this a thousand times in the podcast but like when i watch someone go on stage for the first time if i'm in the room my stomach is still nervous for them like i still yeah. rem- i don't know what it is it's a trigger it's like a primal response where it's like i remember that feeling of like you said the lights are so bright all these people are sitting there staring at you. You're not with your friends anymore. This is you getting measured at 8.41 p.m. on a Tuesday night at the Thirsty Dolphin downtown. And you're like, and I know for a fact, at one point during your set, you're going to come out of yourself and go, holy shit, I, I'm in front of these people doing stand-up. And you got to try and pull yourself back, <laughs> get back into your head and go, what was the thing I was going to say? And so I feel that every time when I see people for the first time. Yeah. And when you do that too, like now when you're comfortable on stage, you can have a couple minutes or minutes, a couple moments of silence up there. And you're like, it's fine. It's just part of the, the beats. It's part of the rhythm, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm okay. And you yeah. know, you'll come to the next joke with confidence. But when the first time on stage where you forget the next joke and you're maybe one or two sets in and there's that silence and you're just like, no one's going to save this, but me. And I don't know what I'm going to say next. It's yeah. just like, whole blank. Yeah, yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. I had that moment where I, early in my career where I uh, was on about to be introduced and I couldn't remember anything before I went on. Like I couldn't remember like any of my set for like, and then I realized later, like, no, it just comes to you when you're up there. Like if you just know what you're starting with, like you already know if you've rehearsed it all or like it'll come. But in the yeah. moment, I couldn't think of what comes after what and what comes after whatever. And I started to, in my mind, freak out. But then when I got out there, I said the first thing and it just transitioned into the second thing. But you have to go through all those first times for comedians. Like it's, yeah. it's, there's no other way to do it. You have to learn by fire like that. Like just get up there and get beat up a thousand times. Yeah. It's, it's true. Like you, you're, I can't even remember my jokes right now. If you were to say, Oh, tell me that joke you do about this. I'd be like, what? How does that go? <laughs> I'm always in the green room. And it's like when I'm in absolute and I'm with Josh Williams, you, you know, Josh, yep. and he's got an unbelievable memory. And I'm just like the first show kind of post COVID that we did live, not like that we were allowed to. Yeah. Um, I was like, Oh my God, I can't remember any of my jokes. And Josh just starts reciting all of my jokes to me verbatim. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, man. Like, you know, them more than I do. Like I literally was not being, I was terrified. I was like, I'm going to forget everything up there. Yeah. And I, I didn't, but it's like there's stage memory and you're on the stage and then you're off the stage. You're like, what? <laughs> like, what is that's a good point? Yes. There's a two, you're right. There is two different memories, stage memory and just normal human being memory. You're like, I don't know anything right now, but you put me in those lights and it's like, suddenly it all comes back. It's like, I don't know where it was three minutes ago, but it's here now. Thank God. Yeah. Um, Chris Gordon and I did a thing one night. We were in, uh, I think we were in Saskatoon one night and we, we also remember each other's bits more than old bits, more than the, uh, than you actually do yourself. So I was quoting old bits by him. And he's like, Holy shit. I totally forgot. I had a bit about that. And, and he was doing it for me. So then we, when we did the show that night, we go, dude, you have to do at least 
two of your old bits. So I get up there and I start this old bit that he'd reminded me of, but I could not remember <laughs> how it's funny. Like I couldn't remember where it goes to get to the laugh part. So just midway, like just up there lost and he's crying in the back of the room. He's the only person laughing because <laughs> everyone else is like, what is happening? This guy just forgot what he's talking about. What are we paying for? And he's back there crying, laughing, like, because he remembered how it's supposed to go, but I still was like, yeah, I don't know. What's the, yeah. <laughs> the sheep was supposed to get them. I don't know. So anyway, uh, I got a cat, everybody. Like you just blow on to the next thing. <laughs> but um, I think it's crazy. I think it's cool that you're doing this thing and, and moving on to this, this clean tech project because I feel like I think a lot of transferable skills from being a stand-up comedian apply to what you're doing right now. And you mean, you've already mentioned a bunch of them, but I think, I think you'll discover more. I mean, first of all, like presenting in public speaking is not a strength for most people, but you've done it in some of the worst scenarios with the goal of making people laugh. Clearly that must be a, a skill that you must have transferred over. Yeah. Well, that's it where you can, you, you become as socially awkward as I can be. You know, I know how to be socially, you know, proficient if I have to be. Right. And, uh, you know, and that's it. So it's like a stand up makes you people stronger. Like, I mean, it just you, you're forced to like in any other sort of team environment, like you can be part of the team. But when you're stand up, you are the team. Like, you know, you, yeah. it's you. Yeah. you have some great people around you. But when you're on that stage, you have to rely on yourself. And that's kind of with anything like your own endeavors, your own entrepreneurship, uh, you know, things or your own, you know, any sort of dream that you want to do in your life. You have to be the person to do it. Yeah. Just you, you know, yeah, so, it's true. It's some of the greatest advice I gave, I ever got was like, no one cares more about your career than you do. Yeah. I don't care who you go into cahoots with. I don't care who you work with, who manages you. No one's going to care more than you do. And once, if you keep remembering that, I think that does steer the car for you a lot, you know, because you, you're right. At the end of the day, the work you did today or didn't do today, it's like, it's your career, it's your business. It's like, it's going to go where it's going to go, you know? Um, it's, uh, but it's something I've held on to a long time because I feel like some people sometimes think, well, if I work with this person or if I go to this festival or if I start this company, if I hire this person, that they will now somehow have the same level of skin in the game that I have about this thing that I'm doing. And it's like, no, they're just doing their job, what they've been hired to do. Here's what they do. It's not their baby. It's not their dream. Um, you know, it's, I don't mean that in a cold way. It's just the reality of it. We've all had jobs where we work for somebody else. It, it didn't mean as much to us. You know, it was just like, it's, it's a job I have. Like, this person's like, my life savings are sunk in this thing. You're like, can I get Friday off me? Like, just, you know what I mean? Like, you read that guy. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, I never would have thought I would have been starting, you know, a technology company, let alone clean tech, but you know, it's, it's been a, an unbelievably amazing project and experience. And my, you know, it's going to be even better when, uh, when you're going to be uh, using our tag pods in the stores to get your items and you don't have to have any, you don't have to take that recycle bin out to the, you know, to the garbage next, next week. Just, yeah. So it's, uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm, I'm, I deeply care about our planet and our species and, and, you know, our effect on other species, which is, you know, it, that really has always kind of bothered me. And I, I want to do more sort of, I want to tie that into stand up a little more, but it's a fairly like bleak subject when you start telling people how they're <coughs> responsible for the destruction of their home. <laughs> so, 
yeah. came here to forget my problems. What's this guy yeah. on about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, it's uh, it's something that I'm very passionate about, and it's uh, you know I'm I'm going to be I'm working into uh, to make it easier for all of us to clean up our act a little bit, and uh, you know make it better for you know for businesses and people to to eat to make money, to save money, to save the uh, impact they have on the planet. So yeah, and I'll continue to do stand up. I I haven't done too much during COVID, but you know it's. Have you been doing a lot of COVID? Like not like Halifax has been. Um they've shut down right so like their patios are starting to open up right now and i think i'm hoping in july maybe you'll be able to start doing some shows again nice but uh i had a couple of shows i just popped on i did a, a show or two and i'm i gotta say like it was just it felt so good it felt so good to just like oh man people in a room and just laughing again and you can re- you, i think you feel that people want to get back they want to feel connected again they want to feel like i'm not alone like i'm going through stuff and other people are going through stuff and there's other human beings here laughing and sharing in the experience and i think people are really really longing for that yeah well it's going to be a new world like this you know we through history in 100 years and they look at the history books this is going to be a monumental time in the world like the equivalent you know of a war sort of thing as far as the covid war in a way yeah we had to everyone had to lock down and change their everything they do and you know people died and it was just like you know we're living through it which is which is a pretty you know cool thing but i mean not it's not always good but yeah definitely after every war society has you know transitioned quite a bit whether it's been in in revolution industrial or some kind of collapse even certain systems and a rebirth of new ones that's happening and we're seeing that so fast with technology these days that you know, ten years ago, if you'd imagine a thing like Uber or Airbnb or you know just the connection that you know, I had a meeting today with someone in Ottawa. I'm in Vancouver. I'm talking to you in Halifax. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It is. It is. It's absolutely crazy. The other thing too, like you were talking about stand up and the connection with like clean tech. I've realized too, like some bands now are trying to tour in a more green way. So apparently, Coldplay will not be touring again until they can drastically reduce their carbon footprint. Like they just decided like, we're just, we realize like we are part of the problem. Touring is part of the problem and we need to be more conscious of it. And so they're trying to just reframe how they go about it and re-engineer what touring looks like. And so people are trying to do it. Like it's, it's, it's a movement. I feel like and it's, it's grown more and more momentum. Like it's not just a like, Oh, that's a tree hugger person who just thinks, you know, uh, it's like, but it's, it's becoming a normal way of life for people now to consider where things are going and what is that thing made of? Yeah. And that's where it's like, it's a, a public awareness is huge and everybody, you know, agrees like the climate change is happening and we, the proverbial, we have to stop this, but that includes you. Like, I mean, yeah. you can change your lifestyle and that's just as important as the we factor. And no, it's not just posting it on Instagram that you're a fan of, you know, you got it do a conscious thing. And I think when people take action like that, they become responsible. And that really makes people happy because they go, wait a minute, if I'm a part of this problem, that also means I can be equally a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, I always try to, you know, when I, I do tell people, I tell them the truth, like you are, if you consume, like most of us, almost all of us do, you are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But you can also easily be part of the solution. You just got to change a few things. Yep. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing is that you are as important as anyone else and that you have to, you know, you know, and that's what I'm helped. My technology is hoping to, you know, make it really easy for you and all your friends to change in a positive way. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing too. I think sometimes problems seem so global and so epic that you feel like I'm just one person. Like, what difference can I make? Like, really, if I use a reusable shopping bag, that's going to change. It's like, yep, yeah, but you're starting with one. Like, you start with what you're doing. The person next to you looks at what they're doing and on down the line. And the other thing too I like about where we've gone, because I remember like back in the 80s and 90s, like, it was nothing to see garbage on the road. Like it was nothing to see like just chip bags and drink cans. Like people were like, whatever. Like I remember cars driving down the road and people just throwing shit out the window. Like it was just like, yeah, I guess that's a thing you can do. Like now, like you realize over time, attitudes change and people go like, no, that's no longer cool to do. Like you will have a lot of people shun you if you do something like that. It wasn't always the way. Yeah. And that's, that's progress, right? It's anything like racism or, or sexism or anything like that. Like you just got to, you know, and that's part of my company's called the aggressive good. And, you know, I get to ask sometimes why aggressive? Like, I'm like, it doesn't mean violent. It means, you know, an, an uh, immediate sort of dedicated, um, very uh, active participation, like moving towards like, like aggressive COVID came about the world got aggressive we gotta we gotta get the vaccine out we gotta to social distance everybody do it to fix this problem you know black lives matter it's like there was so much ridiculous you know police garbage happening till it hit a boiling point and everybody's like that's it like this is we gotta do something yeah you know and if you look at for even like an example of superhero for example they're aggressive in their pursuit of justice or whatever they're trying to do mm-hmm. and that's what i want my company to be doing is we we have this problem it's a problem that's not going away and it's a global issue we have to be aggressive in its uh, in repairing it so that's where you know my my corporate sort of mantra is as well as this company's mission and we have this technology we've got some more technologies on the way that are going to be helping people aggressively tackle this problem that we all have so I get it. I get it. I love it. All right. Well, tell folks where they can find uh, more information about this uh, great project. Yeah. So our website is www.aggressivegood.com. And uh, we have an Instagram page. We're still, I still haven't really, we don't have a, a, a social media person yet. And I do the social media, which I'm not great at. <laughs> I don't love doing it, but it Too many hats. Too many hats, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to the future. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with you again. Uh, yeah, man. Hopefully you'll be able to tour again one of these days and, and uh, you know, link up in, in, in Ottawa or wherever the world will have us, you know, um, yeah. hopefully sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, buddy. It's so good catching up with you. All the best with the aggressive good. Uh, I'm going to keep an eye out for it. And uh, I'm sure all my listeners will as well. Take care of yourself. Be safe. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in the reels, in persons, real soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Trent. All right, buddy. Take care, man. Cheers.